So those who came to that, and then those who are here for breakfast with us, thank you for joining us. That was a good. Thank you for those who prepared it. It was very tasty. Now, if you were here for breakfast and you start falling asleep, okay, that's a no-go. You cannot now. You got to stay awake. I know it was good, but fight the Kanak attack. Stick with me, and we'll try and be brief. As I prepare to preach this sermon, and we'll be in John chapter 21, if you want to start turning there. As I prepared to preach this sermon, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed with gratitude, with thankfulness, blown away in many regards. Four years ago today, four years ago, Easter, four years ago, 2010, I was preaching on the cruise ship, the Pride of America. And I was preaching the Easter service there, and, and not knowing, I was just, just trying to serve the Lord in whatever capacity I could, never even imagining, not even a thought in my mind that I would be standing here four years later and looking at the grace of God and being able to now preach to you as your pastor. I missed you while I was gone this last week, this last Sunday in Kentucky. I send greetings from our students to you. They have been praying for you. We've got about, for those who are visiting, we have about 12 students in Bible College and Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And those students have been gathering about once a month for three years, and they pray for us by name. And so I send greetings and love from them to you. And I am just so honored to be able to preach God's word to God's people for God's glory this morning. So it's just been a, it's a very special time for me. I pray it is also for you. So we'll be in the book of John chapter 20. For those who are here Friday night, you get a little bit of recap because we're back in the book of John. I'm going to orient you to where we are in the book. The book of John is a gospel. It was written, John tells us, if you notice chapter 20, the last verses, 30 and 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And here's his purpose statement. So this is why John wrote his book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote, so that's his purpose, is to get each and every one of us, believer or unbeliever, to continue believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why he wrote. So the book of John is now divided into two parts. There's two parts. If you were to read it, chapters 1 to 12 is the life and work of Jesus Christ. The life and work of Jesus Christ. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us, and this is all he did. The second half starts in chapter 13. Chapter 13 runs to the end of the book, and that chronicles the last week of Jesus' life. So 1 to 12, 30 years crammed in there. And then 13 is one week on, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we find ourselves here at the very end. 
And John, just like a good movie, you guys watch movies from time to time, you'll go in the theater, sometimes it gives you a backstory. They call that a prologue, kind of the setting for the story. Some movies will do it with, with words at the very beginning, and you're like, shh, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, I've got to read this. Quit talking, the movie's starting. And, and, and you, it's important information. That's John chapter 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's setting the stage for what's going to happen. And then like a, also a good movie, there's an epilogue. There's a closing, if you will. The movie is ending... And it's wrapping everything up. Jesus has been crucified in the place of sinners. He has borne the wrath of God. And he has resurrected, chapter 20. And he is now appearing to his disciples. Yes. Praise God. Mission accomplished. It is finished. Now chapter 21 is a bit odd. If you were watching the, the movie, the credits would have started rolling already. And then everybody's getting up and leaving, kind of like a Marvel movie, the Avengers, if you, or something like that, Batman, and everybody's leaving, and then all of a sudden the credits pops up another scene. And you go, oh, oh, after the credits, yes, there's, there's a section here. What is this? This, chapter 21, it would be that scene. This would be the after the epilogue, tying up the other loose ends if you will. Because if you remember, there's a few loose ends we have. Mark, the book of Mark, left us with Peter weeping. Weeping for denying his Savior three times. Luke leaves us with Peter running to the tomb and seeing, and, and Christ revealed himself, but we don't really know what happened to Peter from those accounts. John gives us that picture. Whatever happened to Peter, and I hope that as we see how this plays out, this after the credit scene, that we'll see how and what the Spirit has for each and every one of us. Here's going to be the big idea. When Jesus reveals himself, he means to restore. When Jesus reveals himself to his people, he means to restore them. Not exact vengeance yet. He means to restore. So we'll see Jesus reveals, reminds, restores. He reveals, he reminds, and he restores. Before we get into it and before we read, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I need your strength. I need your Holy Spirit to move because my words can never give life, but your words are life themselves. Lord, I pray that many in here, if they do not know Jesus, if they have never trusted Jesus, if they are following after something else or living for themselves, I pray that your spirit would open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I pray for your people in here that we would be encouraged to live in light of your resurrection and return. You are returning. And so, Lord Jesus, would you strengthen us to do your will? Would you be honored in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're going to walk through this passage. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to pause, talk, read some more, pause, talk, read some more. You'll get it. And it's up here on the screen. Verse 21. After this, 
After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So he's setting the scene. After this, what just happened? What is after this? I'll give you a snippet. You remember, you might call to mind doubting Thomas. You remember Thomas who said, Jesus saw all the other disciples and Thomas wasn't there and they said, he said, no way. I will never believe unless I see, unless I put my finger in his side and I can see I will not believe. That's what after this is he's talking about. Jesus just revealed to Thomas. He just showed himself here. Look. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. So I want to encourage you with this. After this, you might have questions about who Jesus is. Is he God? I think he's just a good man. Maybe he's a good teacher. I like the things he stood for. Maybe he was a political symbol, whatever it is. You may have questions. I want to tell you, as a pastor to you, it is okay to have questions about who Jesus is. It's okay. His own disciples had questions. They didn't believe it, as we're going to see in a second. It's kind of a lofty claim to say he was dead, crucified, beaten, dead, and now he's alive. That's a little hard to believe, and it requires a little bit of faith, even if you see him. So it's okay to ask questions. Here's what's not okay. It's not okay to stay in a perpetual state of questioning. We call that skepticism. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to make a choice about this man, Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. There is no middle ground. So it's okay to have questions. And I pray if you came here with questions that you will leave knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. After this, Jesus revealed himself. So that's revealing. He reveals himself to his people. And we're going to see he's in Galilee. He's at the Sea of Galilee. That's where they're at. He's setting the stage for us. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I'm going fishing. I don't know how he said it. Probably something like, I'm going fishing. You guys want to come? You can come if you want. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So these are fishermen. There's seven of them, Jesus' disciples. There's a good question to ask, what are they doing? Why are they going fishing? Jesus told them, we find in the other gospels, he said, go on to Galilee, you will see me there. So they were supposed to be in Galilee waiting for Jesus. We would maybe say, like, go on to Lahaina. Maybe I'll see you there. Maybe a little bit further. Go on to Hana. I'll, I'll catch, catch you in Hana. And you're in there waiting. Like, there's nothing to see in Hana once you get here. It really is the drive. No. You're waiting in Hana. They're waiting in Galilee. They're supposed to be waiting for Jesus. And instead, they go fishing. We find out later they're actually supposed to be on a mountain. So yet, they're supposed to be on a mountain, but here they are at the lake going fishing. I'm going fishing. What are you doing, Peter? Some say maybe he's, he's in despair. Maybe he's just, 
I denied Christ. I, I, I saw him, but I still don't know because this is not the behavior of somebody who's seen the resurrected Jesus. Right? After this, the book of Acts, they're in power. Peter's not wasting his time anymore. This isn't typical response. What are you doing, Peter? And apparently, whatever he's doing isn't working. They've been fishing all night. And apparently John thought it was weird. That night they caught nothing. It goes on. Verse 4. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. Can you imagine this now? Go back. It's dark. It says day is breaking. These lifetime trade fishermen, whatever trade you've done for your entire life, you ever have somebody and, and it's just not working and then somebody says, oh, here, I, you know, I used to do a little bit. Okay, here, let me show you how to do it. You're like, dude. I've already tried that, man. You just, you don't even know what you're, doing. just whatever, man. Do whatever you want. You can almost picture them. Have you caught any fish? They don't know it's Jesus. It says he's about 100 yards off. So that's about the length of a football field. 100 yards football field. About 100 yards away, it's, it's kind of dark. They can't see. They don't know it's Jesus. I imagine that no was a little bit indignant. No. Who's this guy telling us to cat, to throw the boat, to throw the net on the right side of the boat? As if we haven't thrown it all around the boat. And so they comply. And here's Jesus now beginning to remind them. He's revealing himself. This is how he's doing it. He's reminding them with an aim to restore all of them. They caught nothing. So they throw it on the right side. Verse 6, the rest of the verse. What happens? So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Right about now, we have this, this phenomenon that occurs. We call it deja vu. All of a sudden, they weren't having any fish all night. And whoosh, I can't, they, they can't even haul the net in now. It's as if something crazy occurred and all the fish just started going crazy. And there they are. And now, about this moment, I imagine this would be some deja vu going on. A memory has started. I've been here before. Have you ever had that? You're like, I've met this person. Have I met you before? Did I, did I see you somewhere? Have, I feel like we've done this but you can't put your finger on it right now. If this were a movie, it would start, the camera would go wide angle to see Jesus and to see the disciples toiling, and Peter at that moment is, is pulling with the fish, and it would start to zoom in on his eyes, almost like Forrest Gump movie, when, and then as soon as it focuses on his eyes, you can just see him, it does a flashback. You're going to a flashback to another scene. That scene would be found in Luke chapter 5. Peter's been here before. He's been here before. See, before Peter ever met Jesus about three years earlier, he was also fishing. 
And John, I believe, calls this, our, our attention to this purpose, purposefully. He wants us to remember with Peter the first time he met Jesus. The first sweet time he met Jesus. He had been toiling all night. Jesus gets into the boat. He sits down. Put out your net for a catch. Master, I have been toiling all night, and I've caught nothing. Nevertheless, as you say, I'll do it. Peter lets his net down, and again, now the, they needed two boats, and they still were sinking with the amount of fish, and now Peter fast-forwards again. You remember that day. Jesus said, then, follow me. And now Peter is remembering what's happening after he's denied Jesus. And it's a sweet memory, I would imagine. I have, we have these sweet memories. I have a son. He's a year and a half. Whenever I play with him, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll tickle him, and he'll start laughing and giggling like that big one-year-old belly laugh. I'm not going to try and mimic it. That oh, sounds silly. Whenever I play with him now, I also have a similar phenomenon like this where, where my mind remembers, and I remember as a young boy, my dad, my dad would come and when I was little and he would play this game and he would say a poem and, and he would start to tickle me if I didn't complete the poem as it was supposed to be. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that poem was, and if anybody runs up here and starts trying to tickle me after service, you might get some hurt laid on you. Okay? Sorry. I'm not trying to be violent. But he would tickle me. And now when I play with my son, this kind of flashback happens, and I remember that time. I imagine that's how it would have been with Peter. Except Peter's hurting. He's hurting. He's known. He's denied his, his Savior. And he's, I've been here before. I've done this before. And then John immediately knows. He immediately knows. And he says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. This is my favorite portion. This is my favorite verse in this whole passage. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when, catch, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He was naked. So these guys fish, and they fish naked. It's just that's the way it was back then. They were naked. He put on his outer garment for work, and this is just so like Peter, and threw himself into the sea. <laughs> That's what it says. That's, all it says. That's how Peter does it. You just picture this. It's the Lord. <laughs> I think here of Forrest Gump, and <laughs> if you guys have seen Forrest Gump, he's, he's on his shrimp boat finally, and, and he, he's going, and he's, he's looking, and he sees, who does he see? You guys know who he sees. Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> he, ah, and he just throws himself into the sea and swims to Lieutenant Dan. And he, and he pulls himself up and, and he says, what are you doing here? I'm here to try out my sea legs, of course. You ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. And, and that's, <laughs> some of you guys are like, that's a bad movie. I, I can't believe you saw that. If that's what you're thinking, then you apparently saw the movie to know it was not a good movie. And, and so, so now we are even, so I don't want to hear anything. I'm sorry, guys. I had coffee this morning. I don't know what's going on. I'm just, I get a little edgy. Um, 
So Peter, this is what I picture, Jesus, and he just throws himself into the sea, swims a hundred yards, it's the length of a football field, it would take about two minutes for the average swimmer to swim that far, the fastest person in the world does it in about eight, nine seconds, give or take a little bit under nine seconds, some of you are like, run a football field? No, no, I don't run, I would walk it. He swims the hundred yards to see Jesus. I love that Peter threw himself into the sea, leaves everybody else to toil with the fish. I just want to get to Jesus. I just want to get to Jesus. That's so different than how we are with Jesus and with one another. When we have shamed or rejected somebody, or maybe we just blew somebody off for a party, right? This is the way our generation does things. Hey, you going to come over? Sure, sure, I'll come over on Friday. I'll see you guys there. Comes Friday, you've decided you're not going to go. So instead of calling the person to say, hey, I'm not going to go, just kind of in shame because we don't want to say, I'm not going. We're afraid what they'll think of us. What do we do? We just don't say anything. We just don't show up. We don't call. And, we just, and then we'll wait maybe like a week before we talk to that person <laughs> just in case to make sure they've kind of forgot. Oh, yeah, that, I'm so sorry. We know how that is. We kind of stay away from people that we've rejected or have done something wrong to. But Peter threw himself into the sea and left all the others behind. And he swims over there, and then we go to verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw that it was the Lord. And there was a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, a lot of people think this has special meaning, this, this number, 153, and this 5 plus 3 is, is 8, plus 1 is 9, divided by 3 is, a, is 3, and there's the tr trinity there, and that's, this is amazing, or... Or 5 plus 3 is 8, minus 1 is 7. That's the number of perfection that Jesus... Uh, there's seven disciples. What a, It's amazing. 150. I agree. It does have a special meaning. I think it represents the number of fish they caught. And nothing more than that. Um, it's just making a statement. We Christians can be kind of superstitious at times. We kind of get drawn into these types of fanciful things. This is the word of God. It doesn't need to be improved upon. 153 fish is a miraculous catch. And the nets didn't break. Another miracle. This wouldn't be the only large catch that Peter would bring in. Notice it's Peter who goes to get the fish. He leaves everybody else, throws himself into the sea, forest Peter, and swims to Jesus. And finally now Jesus says, go get some fish that you caught. And it's Peter who goes and gets the fish. This wouldn't be the last large catch of fish that Peter brought in, but he was going to bring a different type of fish in. He was never supposed to be fishing for fish. When Jesus said in Luke 5, follow me, he said, I will make you fisher of men. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and how many people come in? 3,000 people. 
Peter, you are not done yet, Peter. You are not done yet. 153 fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Wouldn't that be amazing? We had breakfast served by our guys and some of our women. They're about to have breakfast served by Jesus himself. If there's anybody who knows how to make fish for breakfast, it's got to be Jesus. Amen. And they're about to be served by the risen king of the universe. It's going to serve them. I hope you're seeing some implications there. Come and have breakfast. Now, here's the thing. I said it's okay to question who Jesus is. They even somewhat doubted here. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They had the thought, but they didn't dare ask it. Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish, and this was now the third time, he appeared to his disciples. What I want us to see, the biggest miracle here, and, and we'll go actually go on to verse 19, but I'll sum it up for you instead of reading it. The miracle of the 153 fish, the miracle of the nets not breaking, is not the biggest miracle in this story. That's not the miracle we're to focus on. Jesus didn't die. He wasn't crucified. He didn't rise again after bearing the wrath of God to make fish appear and nets not tear. He did all of that before. Jesus died and was resurrected. And the biggest miracle in this passage is that Jesus restores his people. Jesus reinstates and accepts his disciples, namely Peter, to his position of leadership, even after he denied him. And we're going to see that Jesus restores. That's the last one. He reveals and he restores. He, he goes in, and you guys remember this famous, famous event. He starts talking with Peter. He grabs Peter and he do you love me more than these, Peter? Do you love me more than these other disciples do? Why would Jesus ask that in front of the other disciples? Because it was Peter. It was Peter, before he died, who said, Though all others fall away, I will never leave you, Jesus. Even if I have to die, I will never deny you. You remember that? He piped up in front of all of them and Jesus said, before the rooster crows three times tonight, you will deny me. And so, as a public confession and a public fall, Jesus is going to reinstate Peter publicly. Do you love me more than these, Peter? Do you love me more than these, Peter? See, it's as if this whole time as Peter's fishing and catching nothing, there's the reminder from John chapter 15. I am the vine you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter, apart from me, you can do nothing. You are not a fisher of fish, Peter. You are a fisher of men. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. 
And so he does restore him. When Jesus reveals himself, he means to restore his people. And so it is with us, brothers and sisters. You are a follower of Christ. You have repented and, and you've been baptized. You've come to Jesus. Some of you in here are much like Peter and the other disciples. Some of you are doing something else. You're fishing for fish when you've been told to fish for men and women for the kingdom of God. You are spending your time toiling and laboring for that which does not profit. You are even doing good things, like working hard. Jesus commends that. And you're, you're going to church often, but you're neglecting your family. You're doing good things, but you're not doing God's things. You are a fisher of men. And Jesus will say at the end of this passage again, after he restores Peter, he recommissions him with those same words in Luke 5, follow me. Don't forget who you are, Peter. Don't forget who you are, brothers and sisters in Christ. Follow Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We have a divine mandate. The risen King, Jesus, Lord of the universe, blot, bought with his blood a people, redeeming us, not so that we can come and have church as a social club and feel good about ourselves, at the end of the day, but that we might join together, standing firm for the sake of the gospel. In our mandate, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's our mandate. And brothers and sisters, I want to call you, if you are like Peter, you find yourself laboring in something else, but you're not fishing for men and women for the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you should quit your job and go into full-time ministry. God saved you where you are and intends to use that job or use your family wherever you're at for his kingdom. But you have to be working and, and laboring and looking with those eyes. God, what would you have me to be doing? Some of us need this same truth. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. We, we're not abiding in Jesus. He's risen. It says, all power has he's, been given to me in heaven, all authority. Colossians would say, he rules and reigns over the universe for his church. For you, God is the only God who doesn't command you to come serve him. He actually serves you. The Lord is not served with human hands as though he needed anything. For he gives to all life and breath and all things. He serves you. One uh, female theologian said, Sometimes we want all of the fruit of abiding in Jesus without abiding in Jesus. We want the fruit that comes from reading and praying and the disciplines of grace and joining and accountability and confession and but we don't ever take the time to abide. Hear the words of Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I want to encourage you. If you've kind of lost sight, believer, you're, you're off track a little bit, you're out fishing instead of doing and waiting for Jesus, here's what I want to encourage you to do. 
pull a Peter and throw yourself into the sea. Throw yourself recklessly into the sea. Whatever you're doing that's distracting you from Jesus is not worth it to wait and swim to Jesus. It can all go. It can wait. You can, somebody else can take care of whatever needs to be done, but you know in your heart something's not right. Throw yourself and swim back to Jesus, and he is there. And you might find that he actually has breakfast ready for you, ready to serve you as the king. I want to encourage others. Jesus, the risen king, cares for you. Wherever you're at, he cares for your needs. You notice he meets their physical needs. He provided breakfast for them and 153 fish. Why? Probably so they could go and sell them and continue living. Jesus continues to care for his people. Consider the sparrow and the lily. It's the lesson we'd have us, he would have us to hear. So if God has served us, even in his resurrection, both before and after, how, brothers and sisters, ought we to be serving one another, to be serving each other? Whenever he reveals himself here this morning through his word, he means to restore you. Wherever you're at, he means to restore you. You're not too far gone. You haven't gone. You haven't, I haven't been to church in so long. I, I just don't know. You don't know what I've been involved in, Randy. Wherever you are, Jesus reveals himself this morning, and he means to restore you. That you might have life so that, as we saw Good Friday, your sorrow will be turned into joy. And nobody will take your joy from you. Then there are some here, I'm almost done, so just hang with me a little bit more. There are some here, you came with a friend, or you're just checking us out. Maybe your family just dragged you along, and you're like, okay, fine, I know, okay. Thank you for coming. I really do mean that. And if you've been lost this whole time, it's okay. It's all good. I'll, I know it's probably my fault. I'll try and do better at that. But I want to invite you. As I said, it's okay to have questions about who Jesus is. Scripture, and I would commend to you the scriptures, answer that question better than anywhere else or anybody else. Jesus is the Son of God, the only person who can satisfy your soul. And I think if you were to ask yourself, am I satisfied where I am now? Is my type of lifestyle bringing joy? I would hope, I would think actually that it is not. And even if you are right now satisfied, I would only say it's temporary and deceived. And I think you'll look in your own life and see it runs in cycles. And I would commend to you as scripture, it will end in nothing. It will amount to vanity, a waste of your time. You will die and stand before judgment, before God. And the Bible says that we have all sinned, not just you, that's including me. We are all sinners. We have all gone astray. But the resurrected Jesus was crucified. He lived a perfect life. He died and he raised on the third day conquering death, 
the only one, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God but by me. That's what Jesus said. That's his words. He was actually crucified because he claimed to be God. So those people who say, oh, he never claimed to be God, that was, a, that was a claim that Christians laid on him many years later. Jesus never claimed to be God. That's why he was crucified. Whatever he claimed, the Jews understood it, that it was blasphemy. Because good teachers don't often get crucified. A wise sage who says, love your neighbor and be kind to people. If that's all he said, that's not worthy of any sort of death. But Jesus made a claim to be God. And he proved it when he rose from the dead. And he did it with signs and miracles. He appeared to more than 500 people. You'll say, well, pastor, if I was there, if I saw the miracle maybe, or if Jesus showed himself to me, then I would believe. I hear that often. Let me commend this to you, though, because Scripture doesn't mince words. It even tells you blatantly, if you'll read it, Jesus' own brothers and sisters, his own brothers and sisters didn't even believe him, and they saw. They lived with him every day, and they didn't believe. Even one of the twelve that Jesus handpicked, Judas, didn't believe, and he betrayed him. So I would encourage you, don't be deceived by your own sin that says, if I saw it, I would believe. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Your heart is against God right now. You do not want him to rule over you, and so you run, and we make these excuses. If I saw, then I would believe. In reality, it always has and always will take a measure of faith in believing what this man says and does, even if you saw it. You might be nervous what it would mean. What will it mean if I believe, though? I'll have to change everything about me. I'll have to, uh, all these things I love doing on the weekends, the golf, you know, I don't really like coming to church. There's Waihu golf course is super cheap on Sundays, and it's really empty. I really enjoy that. What about that? You might be concerned of the implications of believing this morning. I want to encourage you. Jesus is a good master. When you come and you throw yourself into the sea like Jesus did, Peter enjoyed fishing. He did it for a living. When you do that, you get joy. Jesus promises joy. Whatever else that's, that's holding you back that you're concerned about, the promise is this. You will have joy and nobody will take your joy from you. Nobody will take your joy from you. Whatever your joy is in in this life can be taken from you in an instant. Jesus promises joy in himself that never perishes. Ever. Ever. So I want to ask you to come to repent of the way you are living and come to Jesus and find life that you never even knew was possible. I urge you, come today. He is not dead. He is alive. If you need to come to Jesus, remember when he reveals himself, he means to restore. I give you the command that Jesus gave to Peter, follow 
Jesus. I'm going to be over here in this room on my right, your left. They're going to come up here and play a song of response. If you are moved, if, if you have something you just want me to pray for you for, I know there's been a lot of deaths on Maui this past two weeks. If you're hurting, if whatever it is, you want to come and pray and get right with Jesus, I'll be there to pray with you. And so will somebody else. So I ask you to come. If you're not going to come, then just brothers and sisters sing and praise and loud praise that Jesus is risen together with one voice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It alone is perfect, and you have given it to us to instruct us, to correct us, to train us, and to reveal that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Lord, would you create faith? Would you open eyes this morning? And may you get much praise as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.